Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Ipmon fights Gotti for redemption. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their face for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I gotta tell you, Double Edge Double Bill is the greatest podcast in the world. And I am Adam Thomas, and what you just did was so weird. <laughs> oh my god, it's so crazy. Oh, what, what are you doing? I'm a mobster over here. No, Benny Boombat soul. Can't believe it. Up your nose with a twirling lawnmower. Oh. <laughs> uh. Welcome, everyone, to the Double Edge Double Bill, where uh, every week Adam and I cover a good and a bad feature uh, that we pick at the end of the previous episode randomly. And uh, it's interesting, Adam. Uh, we're doing something here that. Uh, most new listeners, especially maybe those on Talk Film Society, might not be aware this is a part of a tradition that we do about every 50 episodes or so. This is a very special, unique uh, to Double Edge Double Bill as a concept. Is it? I don't know. I don't pay attention. <laughs> no, it's not. All the podcasts aren't doing this. It's not. There's no WTF <laughs> redemption. Just like, who's a shitty guest I can get back on? Pow! <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is one of my most, uh, anticipated episodes, uh, honestly, I, I love doing this. I, I think it's because for every movie we've covered, you know, there's one that has just sort of fallen by the wayside in both categories. And a lot of times we never go back to them and this gives us an uh, opportunity to do so. Yes. Cause basically given the nature of our show, where at the end of every episode, um, each of us has two picks, either too bad or too good. We switch up on quality. Um, by the nature of the show, one gets picked, the other one doesn't for each of our two choices. So yeah, this is our chance to give them a bit of a redemption, a chance at the spotlight. Especially whenever we do these, which is about, like I said, every 50 episodes, I like to spotlight ones that I know we won't likely cover in other circumstances. Usually ones where it just feels like, oh, we might not get a chance to go back to that. Or maybe in the case of Gotti, one that's just like the one that got away. Like Gotti was honestly one where we did that for a John Travolta episode. Uh, that was one of the choices I had. And it just slipped through my grasp. I'm like, one day, one day we will cover this. And lo and behold, that day is tonight. It's come. Yeah, the day is here. The day of reckoning. <laughs> Yeah. has come for you um but but yeah it's it's very interesting to do especially I, i'd say with your choice it's more of the former thing with itmon which is your good pick that you had for the first martial arts episode we did it's unlikely we'll ever really have a chance to cover itmon again because we've done two martial arts episodes and right. there's not a lot of other context where that would work no absolutely and 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 with you i i try to do the same thing on these but what i try to do is go with Kind of like you said, just the kind of oddball, more obscure choice that really, no matter what you pair with it, it's going to be a weird double feature. And I mean, technically, we have two movies where there's a bit more similarity than I think usually there is in Redemption, in terms of they're about two real-life figures 
who were very famous in some regard, and movies have been made about them that are uh, wildly outside of historical record, to say the least, I think. Uh, yeah, and I, I'd almost say, God, he's probably even the more crazy one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Even though there aren't elaborate martial arts sequences that I'm sure Travolta totally would have done. Um, no, they're, they're both very odd films based around actual figures that existed. Yep. Yep, and one of them stars John Travolta. <laughs> yep. Uh, but let's go ahead and start, then, with our good pick uh, that doesn't star John Travolta, of Itmon. When Japan invaded China, they ruled with a deadly fist. Many rose to fight against them. But only one man had the secret. A warrior legend. Tony Yan as the greatest martial arts master of a generation. Ip Man. So Ip Man came out uh, December 19th, 2008 from uh, director Wilson Yip and stars Donnie Yen uh, as the titular Itman. And much as we were talking about in the intro, this is based on a true story in terms of the uh, main character of Itman uh, was an actual martial artist who existed and basically created the Wing Chun style, right? As is depicted in the film. Yeah, yeah. Modern Wing Chun exists because of Itman. Yeah. Right, and he was very famous also for training Bruce Lee, who obviously became a masterful uh, martial arts star in his own right uh, in the 70s. So this was your choice, Adam, and uh, I'm curious, uh, wh- why did you really want to give this one the shot of redemption? Well, a couple of reasons. One is, uh, I, I'm a Donnie, I love Donnie, and I think he's, he's great, and uh, two, the fight choreography in this movie is sort of, like, perfect. It's, it's so incredible and intense and fast-paced and just brilliantly done. And also, it's a really good, like, sort of over-the-top, but still historically sort of significant story, like what takes place with the, you know, the J- Japan invading China and all of that that went through this little town and what happened to these people and they were dispersed and all that. It just so happens this really sort of harrowing, tale of history is wrapped up in a really kick-ass kung fu movie well i mean several asterisks should probably be added to your statement in terms of like this historical thing like i mean from what i understand the actual historical facts here are there was a guy named ip man who would later train bruce lee and develop that wing chun style of martial arts and also that war actually happened but otherwise a lot of the like elements in between are very much bullshit Yeah, no, it not never fought for freedom against a Japanese general. Like, that never happened. It's just a really cool way to tell this story, to set it against this sort of uh, embellished sort of historical tale. Uh, and I, like I said, just you got to give credit where credit's due. The fight choreography in this is out of this world. Oh, no, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, and it's probably interesting to note that, like, Donnie Yen obviously is the star, as you mentioned, who plays it, Mon. And Donnie Yen is someone who I mostly know from, like, reputation. I've only really seen him in a few things, like, obviously, like, a Rogue One, in terms of, like, American Philistine taste in cinema that I have. Um, but, yeah, I had not really seen this one. And what do you think separates him 
from a lot of other sort of like martial arts people. Like we've covered Jackie Chan on this podcast. We've covered Jet Li on this podcast in our previous martial arts episodes. What do you think makes him distinctive? I don't, I don't, I don't mean to say this in a, like in a negative way, because I mean it in, in the way you're asking, but there's a sort of every man bland look to Donnie Yen, if that makes sense, where Jackie Chan's got the real comedic style. Jet Li can be super intimidating and he's kind of a smaller guy and his uh, style is more sort of fluid where Donnie Yen, especially with the Wing Chun style in this movie, he just has such a calm demeanor about him kind of all the time, even when he's kicking so much ass. He, he really, it's just real impactful, straightforward. And, uh, you know, he does do all the choreography himself and everything, too. And it, he's got his whole team with him that most of the people he fights in this movie are members of Donnie Yen's stunt team. He, there's just something about him where he's can he could be like the everyman. He totally believable. Like when you see him walking down in the village in this movie, he's got that old man hat and coat on. And you're like, yeah, he just looks like a normal dude. Uh, but under that, like this guy, could he could just beat you to death quickly. Uh, Donnie Yen has the everyman quality. That, I think that's what separates him. I, I would agree with that in terms of like Donnie Yen feels like someone who you would actually encounter on the street versus Jackie Chan is like a wild cartoon character. And then Jet Li is like a Wolverine that came out of the forest and is about to like claw your face off, basically, as opposed to Donnie Yen. I wouldn't even say it's like totally like a, a bland look to him as much because I think he's the one who feels the most like, oh, you're a genuine like movie star in terms of your looks and your charisma. Like the way that he is able to like exude so much of that respect out of people who like with Ipman like in the small town which basically they established that this was like this town was created as sort of a haven for martial arts and there are several different martial arts uh like facilities where people teach martial arts and have like huge classes around them and he's sort of like the main one that everybody looks up to and there's an opening scene where he fights one of the masters and the master is just like oh i'm so honored i can't believe i'm here fighting you it, it means so much to me this is happening he's like no the honor's all mine i really appreciate it. he comes and he like he offers the guy dinner and also so just like you're just a very charming man who i would want to hang around and also not be at the end of a fight with at the same time there's there's that realistic sort of movie star quality, just in the way that he smiles. Of, like, those three men, he is the one who, like, sight unseen about any, like, English-language movies, I'd be like, this is the guy who has the most potential, like, crossover as just, like, an international movie star, just on looks alone, regardless of the martial arts choreography. Yeah, I think that's very accurate. You know, you gotta figure... To, he's probably been in a couple more things than you realize you've seen him in as well. You know, a lot of people don't realize, like, yes, of course, Rogue One is his most famous role, I think, in arguably, at least over here. But he was also, you know, Snowman in Blade 2. And he's right. also the main, kind of the main heavy in Triple X 3. Right. And he's also a hero with Jet Li, of course. Yeah, of like course. That. Yeah, he pops up kind of all over the place. But, you know, yeah, it, dude. Can anybody punch faster at more times than Dottie Yen? I don't know. Like it's it's like a jackhammer going off on you when he's hit you. And the other thing too, like you've seen in a lot of movies, Jet Li does it all the time. Jack Jan's done it all the time. Where it'll be like one man versus ten. And Jackie Chan, it's always you know he's using a furniture or a car door or whatever's in the vicinity to fight them all off. Jet Li is kind of one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. His choreography is so incredible; like he's fighting five guys at one time in this. He's interacting with all of them at the same time. It's 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 unlike anything I've ever seen. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Donnie Yen has the most uh, mainstream look about him, 
where he's he, like we said, he's the everyman, but he's also incredibly handsome, incredibly charming. But when he's kicking ass, you're like, oh, this guy's terrifying. I don't know that he ever really wanted to be a huge um, sort of mainstream Hollywood star because he's built quite a huge career and reputation for himself, you know, in China. Like he's a huge, huge deal over there. Yeah, I think the person I would equate him to in terms of like an American version, obviously me with my sensibilities. I kept thinking this whole time watching this movie, just like this dude's like Gene Kelly in terms of how much it feels like effortless. Like as opposed to a Jackie Chan, you see the effort. He's like huffing and puffing in a really great way that totally works for his kind of you know style of like action choreography. As opposed to Donnie Yen, just like moves with this fluidity that is so unbridled, but also he has this like. Like I said, that movie star charm at the same time that makes it feel like, oh, he's not actually like horribly aching from doing like this big choreographed thing. She's like, no, I'm just chill. I'm doing this like, you know, it's a Tuesday as opposed to like Jackie Chan <laughs> right. shows the effort. Yeah. And, and also, and on the flip side with Jet Li, Jet Li, there's a lot of uh, yelling and sort of screaming and, and, you know, loud noises when he's executing his moves. Donnie Yen's virtually silent when he's fighting. And yeah, it looks effortless. But, you know, not to only focus on that, what did you think of, you know, the set design, the the, the way that it was shot, everything? Um, I mean, I like the fact that it feels like a movie set in a weird way, because as we mentioned, this is very much completely screwing with history on every conceivable level, and it feels like it's kind of like a fable in terms of the look of everything. Like, the look of the little town square, it feels like, okay, this is like, like I mentioned, like a movie set where, like, all the different martial arts schools are, like, next to each other. Especially when, like, Ying comes to fight, which, shout out, I, the moment I saw him, uh, Fan Xiu Wong, apologies if I mispronounced that, or any other names as we go along with this discussion, um, but the moment I saw the dude, I'm like, this guy looks very familiar, and I can't place it, and then I realized, it's fucking Riccio, and I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> I can't because <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I love Story Ricky, and I oh, hadn't yeah, seen that dude great. like anything else, I'm like, oh my god, he's so great, and he looks completely different, but the eyes, his distinctive, yep. like, eyes are so, they're, where they're just, like, very captivating, and then the moment, like, he is going around just destroying people in that town square. And then it's just like, well, it's been an afternoon where I've defeated every other martial arts school. I guess I'm done. She's like, no, you got to defeat Ipman. And that's my favorite fight sequence, by the way, is the, that first one between him and Ipman, where it goes throughout the house and then it's stopped by the kid. And then it has like the feather duster versus the giant sword and shit like that. That's all the stuff that feels like, oh, this is like almost fable-like. And I think that's that earlier part is what I enjoyed the most about the movie. Once it gets into like the sort of war camp stuff, it becomes more than a bit nationalist, to say the least. <laughs> In a way that felt kind what? of like... What? <laughs> I, I, I gotta sit you down, Adam. Um, sometimes, you know, cinema can be very jingoistic. Oh, man. I, you know, I did not pick up on that at all. Wheels? Uh, no, I completely agree with you. I, I think the beginning stuff is my favorite stuff as well. It does feel like this weird martial arts fable. I love the idea that there's this little town square that's like martial arts street, basically. I think that's even kind of what they call it. Uh, it it's it's great. And yeah, that fight between, you know, Riccio and Donnie Yen is probably my favorite one, too. Because not only is it just two completely different styles going against each other, one who's real aggressive and then kind of calm down the end. But there's also just, how funny is it? You know, I'll pay for it. <laughs> like when he breaks the pot stuff. And he's like, good. And it does again, I'll pay. Like, it's so funny because it's just, 
And like we, even when he defeats the, the master in the beginning, it, it's just this weird sort of respect that they have for each other as they're even trying to like really physically hurt each other. And it, it's just super fun and kind of goofy and a little comedic at the same time, but ultimately just super exciting to watch. Down to my favorite side character in this is Yuan, who is this guy who we initially see like flying a kite. And we're like, oh, that probably belongs to a child of some sort, as opposed to this grown-ass man fucking shows up and looks like a Dickensian orphan. <laughs> and we later see him as his brother. is just like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. And Wang Yunam plays Duan as just this guy. who's just like, why, why is it so bad that I'm pointing out the Grandmaster got destroyed? Just like, what about embarrassment? What's embarrassment? What are you talking about? It's like, how old are you? <laughs> what the fuck is that? I, yeah, I know. And then he becomes an axe-wielding gang member, <laughs> which is so fucking great. It's great. And I love, you know, <laughs> when Ipmod stops him, he's like, you know, where, what is this? What are you doing? I'm a robber. <laughs> he's a robber. <laughs> Nobody says that but children. <laughs> Like the final fight scene, you know, with Itman and the general and stuff, it's so ridiculously over the top. I mean, obviously, Itman just kicks the living shit out of him. But just the idea, it's so silly that, like you said, you know, Chinese martial arts prevails over Japanese martial arts. So basically, China wins over Japan no matter what, China. And, you know, even all the villagers storm and take take back the town. And, you know, the one guy who was like kind of the traitorous policeman kills the other guy. Like, it just gets so crazy. Yeah, especially uh, 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 Colonel Sato, the Japanese, like, second-in-command guy who's just like, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if my general has any kind of honor. I'm going to fucking murder you if you win. <laughs> no, yeah, he's he's the quintessential sort of, like, weaselly right-hand guy. Uh, just the way he acts, uh, he's just outbursts of aggression, the smile he's got on. The, the way that he pulls out the gun at the end, just like, I can't take this! Yeah. Man, <laughs> can't we? <laughs> yep. Or when he's got the little boy, the little boy's going like, bang, bang, and he's walking towards him with the gun all hunched over. Like, this fucking guy. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a pretty interesting depiction of a villain. I, 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 yeah. I mean, just of a people in general, like a whole country. Like, I get, look, the it's the Sion Japanese War. I get, at, like, a lot of these things that actually happened. There was, like, it was called, like, the Asian Holocaust to a certain degree. Like, it was a terrible thing. But also just, like, the, the how far they go. It's kind of like when we portray Nazis, which obviously, given, you know, Japan at this time was allied with the Nazis. It has that, there, there's some kind of connection there, obviously. But also, it feels like, to a weird extreme where it's just like, are these, is this like a Japanese Mel Brooks movie? With just how much they're going with like these almost comedically evil versions of these people. Just like, it's yeah, so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, they're they're all Rambo villains, basically. <laughs> you know, from like the second Rambo on. It's how can we make, you know, these people in this sort of time period where these awful things were happening, not, of course not exactly as it happened in this movie but it is a horrible tragedy and a, and a dirty ugly war well how can we make them even more despicable well let's make them walk you know hunched over a little bit let's make them ruthlessly aggressive all the time well, all let's... that's missing is just like a deleted scene where they kicked puppies oh yeah dude yeah yeah or th or like in 
like I said, even in like the fourth Rambo movie where they literally pick up a child and throw it into a burning building. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. But at the same time, even during that stuff, I I do like how even the look of that, the contrast of how the, the village which uh, we haven't even mentioned, it's a Foshan is the name of the village, which was a real village as well. And how the contrast between the almost like fable fairy tale land that it is in the opening, and then the moment that just the, the Japanese invade, how it becomes a desolate place full of like gray concrete. And even that, that mixture of the color palette where it goes from like these like brighter, colorful, beautiful sort of sentiments to, especially when we get the sequence where Donian fights the 10 people in the tournament. Um, just the weird grayscale word almost looks like it's fucking Sin City. Like, aside from the Japanese flag, yeah. like, the red in that flag, like, everything looks like black and white in a really stylized, cool way that, like, contrasts with just how much Johnny Yen has lost at this point. Yeah, no, that's, I absolutely picked up on that, too. Yeah, I mean, even to the point where he's working in, like, you know, shoveling coal, so he's constantly covered in soot and everything's dirty, and even, like, his really nice sort of robes he was wearing, he's, he's still wearing them. You know, even when he is shoveling coal and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, no, they, that, that was clearly a choice. And and I, I think it works really well. But basically what I want to ask you, like, you, I know you said the fight between Ricky O and Donnie is your favorite fight. And, and I agree. I think that's probably the one that's the most fun. Because once the sort of tone of the movie changes, it just becomes so uberly violent. Like, even the fight scenes. What did you think about sort of the final 15 minutes of the movie? Did it feel a little rushed to you? Because it kind of felt a little rushed to me. We're like, okay, now we got to get him to fight the general. We got to do it. We got to do it. Here we go. Let's do it now. Once the Japanese invasion even happens, I think there's a lot of like sort of rushing and then like it stops a bit. Like in when the Japanese initially invade, it goes by very quickly. All of a sudden, just like, yep, this place is a shithole. And then we kind of like wallow in it for a bit. That's kind of interesting. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think it probably wouldn't be as odd to me if that wasn't just the complete ending of the movie which is that shot of like all the you know people in the village just like cheering like yeah i can't believe what we did we conquered japan basically and then it has a very quick epilogue which is like and then they left and then they went over to uh, hong kong and then they uh um started off the the big school and then he taught bruce lee bye <laughs> like i think that's the problem is that if we had a bit more breath during like the epilogue i think it wouldn't feel as rushed yeah i think i think you, you actually hit the nail right on the head with that one because it's funny every time i watch this movie at the end with the text on screen and stuff it's yeah and then he taught you know a lot of famous people one of them turned out to be bruce lee and i was like all right cool where are we gonna go from here and then bye you're like fuck wait <laughs> like porky pig's gonna jump out just like a bit, a bit that's all <laughs> right exactly no it does it, it adds on such like a like a harsh cut almost it's just it's kind of odd well, and to be fair, Adam, there there were plenty of follow-ups as well, because I know this has had a couple sequels. Um, and have you seen any of those? Do the How do those I've, compare maybe to this? I've seen the second one and I think the fourth one, whichever one Mike Tyson's in. That might be the third one. I'm not 100% sure, but they're, they're fine. This one's the best one. I mean, because these the sort of sequels really sort of just rely on simply the martial arts aspect of it all it's more fighting less story but yeah it, they're fine they're good at martial arts movies i mean i i won't take that away from them but there's not a lot of meat on the on the bone on those ones at, at the same time that i agree that i think this one has a weird ending point this still feels like a contained story uh, in in terms of just like oh this is the story of a man who 
um, had become like this martial arts person and was so well respected. And we get a sense of like what he means to the town and then how everything gets taken away from him once the Japanese invade. We get a full at least arc for him, really realizing, especially, I like the whole factor that he doesn't want to owe anybody favors. Like he could have taken that job that his, uh, his brother, right? Who like owns the, the factory and stuff like that. I think it's his brother. I think. I mean, because this that guy's son refers to him as Uncle Itmon and all this other stuff. Yeah, so that's what I figured. Oh, unless it's uh, yeah. like an honorary title, maybe who knows? But point being, that guy offers him an out. We're just like, dude, you get like ten percent of the company. You can like probably you know do whatever. And he, but he doesn't feel that he like has earned that, so he doesn't want to like take that quick shortcut. And that's like something that's like really respectable, even if you're just like, dude, what are you talking about? Your family's poor and all this other stuff. You at least get. That he's like, look, I would rather like earn my way up as opposed to doing this. I it feels, you know, to a degree where it's like I wouldn't be that person. I would totally be the guy like, please, yes, I want. I'll be like your partner in this company. Sure, please, whatever. But I get why he would do that at the same time, and I get his eventual progression to being like, well, what matters more than like even any of that kind of, um, you know, pulling up my bootstraps or whatever is my family. That's the first thing that matters to any degree and how he realizes that after a certain point. I think that's that's at least like a complete arc to where like this movie stands on its own pretty well. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, you know, he's he's not just the stoic martial artist. There's more to the character. They, they really did make an effort to give him sort of a reasonable character arc. Like it's not just... You know, martial artist down on his luck fights to get back. You know, there's a lot of conflict there with him. And uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate that because I've seen it go the other way too, where it's just martial artist down on his luck, you know, blah, 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 starts fighting again, earns the respect back of everyone. Good to go. Yeah, I also really like the relationship he even has with his wife, where there is like a bit more of that turmoil in a way that just from the limited amount of stuff I've seen with martial arts movies isn't really that exemplified of just like, oh, the actual toil that takes on like keeping you away from your family and all this other stuff in a way where like it makes it also believable that like Donnie Yen is the only person where I feel like he would believably have been married to somebody as opposed to Jackie Chan seems like a very fun fling that you would like have like your initial romance with. And it's just like, no, I can't sell down with Jackie Chan. He's like flipping over himself or Jet Li's just like, he might murder me in my sleep. I don't know. He's, he's like a yeah. very t- intense person. I can't spend my life with Donnie in a hundred percent feels more like that. Like in his relationship with uh, it's Lynn Hong is the actress's name. And she's good. She's really good. Did it too. I, I like her sort of, you know, the way she constantly giving him shit. Like you need to spend time with your son. Like, you know, I don't th- enough of this shit. Like, your, your son's ignoring you because you don't talk to him. You don't spend time with him. But then she also is like, realizes how important sort of his position is too, up to the point where, you know, Ricky O comes in and storms the house and she's, he's Donnie Yen's like, no, I'm not going to fight you. Thank you, but I'm not going to fight you. And Ricky O keeps talking shit. And she just looks at Donnie Yen's like, just don't destroy all my stuff. Like, it's it's pretty cool. Like, it's, yeah, I really like her character in this. Well, and you kind of mentioned that you maybe agree with me about that one fight uh, with the feather duster and everything being your favorite, but is there another fight you really want to spotlight we maybe haven't mentioned, or like some moment in one of these fights we haven't mentioned, being the martial arts uh, enthusiast you are? Well, like I said, I love the, the, the one-on-ten fight uh, quite a bit. It's so intense right from the get and does not let up. I mean, it is full-on just movement like there's no real breaths in between it he just dismantles all 10 of these guys 
in pretty vicious ways. Like my favorite moment of that is where he takes the guy's arm and then rolls over his body and snaps it. Uh, it's, it's insane. Uh, but I mean, I think that's probably, probably my second favorite. The fight with the general is good, but it's so one-sided that I, I would really kind of wanted, you know, more of a back and forth there. Uh, cause it's basically just Iman kicking the shit out of him the whole time. Like he gets in a shot or two in, but it's too much of, like you said, sort of the, look how much better our martial arts is to yours. And I mean, look, and there's been no good Japanese martial artists ever, as history has taught us. Never never. one single good Japanese martial artist in this movie just proves that exact 100% Mm -hmm. true, not fake thing. About time someone had the courage to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, why don't we go ahead and go into our final thoughts here about Ipman. Please, Adam, as the person who picked it for the redemption that it deserves uh, your final thoughts on Hitman. If you want to watch this movie just for the martial arts bits and elements of it, it's there. It's done almost perfectly. It's If you want to watch it for, uh, you know, a good dramatic story, it's there. If you want to watch it for revisionist history purposes, that's there too. Uh, it, it's it's just a real solid sort of, uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it an epic, but it, it's a solid, solid movie. And, uh, Donnie Yen's great in it. Everybody in it's good. There's there's not really a bad actor in the bunch. Some of them are a little hammier than the other, but it's all pretty strong performances. It looks good. Uh, it's fun in the beginning, and then it gets super serious, but there's still a couple moments of sort of levity here and there. Uh, I just, uh, I think it's a really, really solid movie. Yeah, I mean, and as someone who's obviously more of a martial arts novice compared to yourself, I still really dug it, even with like some of the cultural things. Like we should mention this was at least a Hong Kong produced movie. And we've said China many times, even though there's obviously a bit of a disparity between that. I, I know that much of just, like, the difference between, like, Hong Kong and China specifically, and especially their cinema. And at the same time, this movie is very nationalist in a way that can be a bit, like, stretching sort of the credulity even to, like, a dumb Westerner like myself. Just like, okay, guys, come on, this is, this is getting a bit ridiculous. Just, like, you're really just completely destroying Japan. Like, you're destroying Japan more than, like, a fucking Godzilla movie after a certain point in terms of, like, you're just destroying, like, the reputation like Godzilla would a model city in a ridiculous way. Like, this is a bit much. But at the same time, a lot of the other stuff, particularly, like I mentioned, the first half of this movie is, like, stellar to me, where it just becomes this, like, fascinating fable about, like, the Itman character. If anything, like, I've seen, like, all, like obviously there are all these, like, uh, sequels and spinoffs and stuff. Like, I would really want a prequel, if nothing else, to see, like, just, like, well, how does Itman get to this point? Has he develop all these things and stuff like that? I don't know if the spinoff does that necessarily, the Master Z one or not, but I at least really like this little self-contained story about a master martial artist who's very humble and respectful, has such a great, you know, depiction from Adani Yen, who is such a movie star to degree. I'm just like, I just want to see more of him in movies like this, where he has that effortless kind of charm and also dexterity to really work as a martial artist. And there's a lot of fun fights here. I agree. I think there's, there isn't really a bad fight in here, even with like, I agree the last fight's the weakest one because it feels a bit more anticlimactic after, especially we didn't mention much, but the factory is sort of like revenge sequence where the guy who played Rikyo and Yuan are fighting against uh, Donnie Yen with, like, the sticks and stuff like that is a really great, like, fight to the point where I'm just like, you could just end it here. I don't need the general bullshit. <laughs> like, this is a really good final fight yeah, as opposed to, right, what we 
keep sort of get after that point. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty stellar despite some of those weirder elements of nationalism to it. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty interesting and well worth watching. But speaking of stretching credulity oh, on fuck. just every conceivable level, uh, let's get to Gotti. Let me tell you something. New York is the greatest city in the world, my city. I was a kid in these streets, and I made it to the top. I made my bones doing a piece of work for Don Carlo Gambino. Like that, I became a made man. Do you know what you're doing to this family? I will build something that nobody can destroy. You'll need the support of all five boroughs. Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, the Bronx. Our job now is to maintain leadership. I nominate John Gotti. To the new boss! Let everybody know. Now everybody comes to me. Mr. Gotti, are you the head of the Gambino crime family? The head of my family. walk together and we fall together this is the life so Gotti came out um on june 15th 2018 uh and is an interesting film for sort of the weird production history behind it where uh this was in the making for about a decade and uh you know because it's about obviously john god who was a real life mobster in new york um and a fascinating figure to make a movie about uh, and to the point where Barry Levinson, Joe Johnston, Nick Cassavetes were all trying to make it at different points with people like Al Pacino, Lindsay Lohan, uh, Chaz Palminteri, and Ben Foster were like all involved at some point. Even Joe Pesci was going to play the Angelo Ruggiero part and gained weight for it. And then during the weird production schedule of all this, they said like, oh, actually, we've found someone else who fits that part a bit better. Can you play this other part? And it's like, I gained 30 pounds, motherfucker. And then they had to pay him $3 million. <laughs> but eventually it happened with uh, master auteur Kevin Connolly. E from Entourage is the director of this film. <laughs> um, and is written by Lem Dobbs, who's written stuff that we've covered, like the Limey, but also Leo Rossi, who's mostly an actor. He And he's in this movie as like sort of John Gotti's like right-hand man that isn't Angelo. Like, do you recognize that guy? Do you know where that guy's from? At least we would know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, oh uh, yeah, I do. What, um, what is it? He's the sleazy paramedic in Halloween Two, who just like yeah, yeah, face. yeah. He's that yeah, guy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this movie has such a bizarre way it treats John Gotti, who was like, from what I understand, like he was a real mobster. He was very much appreciated in New York from the communities that he like actually tried to help. But at the same time, obviously, he was a mobster who had so many ties that he was constantly under threat of the law at this time. He's an interesting figure to make a movie about. And this movie weirdly lionizes him without depicting at least, like, that part where he really helped communities. He's just kind of like, oh, yo, I'm an asshole. Hey, but don't you love me? Because I'm Travolta. Hey, look at me. Now, Adam, we should point this out for anybody who might be unaware. Because especially talk film society folks might not know. You have a special hatred for star John Travolta. You loathe this man. We did a whole episode a couple years ago where we talked about him and you loathe him entirely. Um, so I'm sure you had a great experience watching Gotti. Oh, absolutely. 
I mean, he just electrified. No, he's fucking terrible. I hate his smug face, and it's even more smug in this because he's like trying to play this really cool version of John Gotti. Like the way the movie opens with, hey, you either go out in jail or you die. I did both. You're like, oh, fuck me. And it just, ah. I, no, he's terrible. He's terrible in this movie. He's terrible in everything he's in. Like, I know the guy is in real life has suffered a lot of tragedy, you know, obviously, even with his wife being in this one. Ryan Kelly Preston, this is her last movie before her she final passed role. away. Right. You know, all that stuff. But still, I, like, I just, I cannot stand him as an actor. I think he's just so over the top and just does not have the ability to pull off most of the roles he's given. Um, other than I honestly get shorty other than that I'm, I'm pretty much oh and then the one um, uh, the one the, the noise one I always forget the name of it oh blowout or I mean the Pulp Fiction Carrie I think there's a handful there's there's a handful eh, I think even the, like say one the, of them well, no, the same one. And the frustrating thing is, like, around the same time, he was in the People vs. OJ uh, American Crime Story miniseries. And in that show, he has a very similar performance to this movie, but the difference is, in that show, everyone has the realistic reaction to him of just, like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> what are you doing? You're such a fucking weirdo, dude. What, what the hell is even going on? And I think that's the trouble is Travolta has too much vanity to embrace being a bizarro character actor that I think he could have fun being. Honestly, that's the trouble. It's just when you're watching yeah. this movie, in a mob movie, he totally makes sense as some weird, weaselly side character. As opposed to playing John Gotti, the guy who's supposed to be this charismatic man of the people. And like you mentioned, he's a weird, like, robot man of some sort that just doesn't really affect like obviously like you mentioned he suffered so many tragedies and even when i watched this movie initially because i'd seen this before there's the point where like john Gotti's son dies his young eight-year-old son and there's a scene where they're at the hospital and he's told all this and there's no dialogue it's all just conveyed visually and in theory this would be okay john travolta has suffered tragedies and stuff like that i think maybe he could effectively portray all this that motherfucker just like walks down the hallway and then bites his fist? Does the most stereotypical bullshit. The, the only way it could have been different if he was walking down the hallway and doing the fingers under the chin to all the nurses. Like, yes, nah. But even the way that he bites down his fist, it's not like in the way that a human would, where there's like actual like... Because he does it because he's, like, he's a well, lizard man. Well, right, because like he... the way... He just like literally almost puts his fist in his mouth, just like... oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like almost fists his own mouth, a hundred percent. Like just, this is what humans do; they put yeah. fists in mouth. <laughs> Human sad. No, actually, I'm sorry. Be like, well, I'm so sad. I'm a human, a normal guy. Oh, even though oh. this whole time, especially when they try and make him up to be younger, I just kept thinking, like, this dude looks like the villain from The Mask. Yeah, a hundred percent. He looks so much like that guy. I can't believe oh, yeah. he put on like the green mask. Just like, oh whoa, I can't believe I'm a cartoon man. Yeah, he does. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, look, look how good I can dance now. The other problem is he's surrounded by really shitty performances too. Like this movie, the, Stacey Keach is fine because you know he's Stacey Keach. He has the best moment in the whole movie with the five boroughs thing, which is ridiculous. Yes. It's ridiculous. He super tries to sell it, which is like, hey, you who's lived in New York this whole time, remember the five boroughs, Brooklyn, 
Queens. <laughs> yeah, you unite them, you get a fist. That, um, that's a fist. <laughs> which John Travolta then puts in his mouth. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 I love the five balls so much. <laughs> I see a fist, I gotta swallow it. Oh, Like I said, Prutinovitz, he's good. He's a reliable character actor in pretty much everything. The kid they got to play Gotti Jr. is so bad. Well, and and, and there's the weird thing where he, like, it's it's Spencer LaFranco is that guy's name. And it's the weird contrast where, like, throughout most of this movie, John Travolta is either made up to look far younger than he is or to look far older than even, like, John Gotti lived to be. Like, at the ending, when even though I know he's gone through cancer treatment and stuff, he just looks like, oh, I'm an ancient mummy man, even though I'm technically, like, John Travolta is older than John Gotti was when he died in that scene. But, by contrast, LaFranco constantly looks like he's just, like, a 17-year-old kid. They put gray in his hair. That's it. Right, they put a bit, but it's, like, baby powder gray. Oh, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, 100%. That's exactly what it is. Especially when they, like, there's the point where, like, he's gone through all the trials at the very end, and he's just like, oh, I'm free, and they actually, like, flip to a photo of the real John Gotti Jr., just like, whoa! I know, I know, big difference! Uh, (laughs) And and the other thing, too, one, could you slick back his hair any harder? Like, it's to the point where it, his hair is slicked back so bad it makes the top of his head look flat. And then he's got the sides that are completely different color than the top of his hair. Like, they just dyed the top that's slicked back black. And the sides of her hair is like a, a darker brown. It, it's, it's like an optical illusion, this kid. <laughs> and then when he's in fucking prison talking to Gotti, like, the last time they see him, his hair is all spiky and he's got glasses. He's wearing a suit that's way too big for him. Like, I didn't even realize, it. like, the movie starts with that. I'm like, oh, what is this, like his 16-year-old son? No, he's supposed to be, like, 40 at that point. <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? This movie is ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's the thing is, like, in terms of, like, the way that it actually is supposed to, quote-unquote, feel like a movie... I think cinematography-wise, it supposedly looks like a real movie, like they got good cameras, but then everything else around it just feels, it's so fucking cheap-looking at every single turn. Like, there's the point where they go to, like, the club, and they're playing, like, the disco music, um, and, like, they they introduce, like, the one guy that's going to rat him out later on, and the club is supposed to look like, oh, it's this big, bustling club where everyone's hanging out, and it looks like a fucking family restaurant. (laughs) They just gussied up with like a disco it's, ball. It's, it, yeah, dude, one hundred percent. It's Denny's with like, you know, a disco ball and some garland hanging around like the poles. It's it, yeah, it's so cheap looking. And I don't even look the needle drops in this movie. Every choice is so weird. The fact that they have the shaft theme. Well, right. There's one third of it that is like pop music that doesn't make any sense from like around that vague time that it's set in. Then there's one third of it that's what you would expect from one of these mobster movies like Frank Sinatra, like super Italian music, all this other bullshit. And the other third is Pitbull. There are five Pitbull songs in this fucking movie. <laughs> why? He's not even Italian. I don't why. No, the is... Amy Familia, Pitbull, yeah. yeah they hey, can try if they want to. Dolly. <laughs> um, it's it's so stupid. It's so fucking stupid. And then it's like a Depeche Mode song shows up out of nowhere. Oh like, my god! Why is this in here? Well, what? Fucking Heart of Glass shows up. Just like what? <laughs> yes, dude. What the fuck is going on? And the thing is, like, I, I I will say this: this movie is not boring. 
No. <laughs> I was not bored because I was so bewildered and perplexed by what I was seeing. And the fact that, because I remember the controversy when this came out and it bombed so hard at Travolta and everybody's like, oh, you guys just didn't go see it because you don't appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. Well, blah, no, blah. The, the big controversy was like, this is one of a few movies that MoviePass produced who are back in the movies oh, yeah. recent because they're trying yeah. to like be, do their swindler bullshit again um where they like tried to venture into actually producing movies while they were like scamming people out of their money to go to movies and there was a whole disparity where like when it came out it was a zero percent from the critics on rotten tomatoes but like an 80 percent audience score and it turned out a bunch of recently created accounts that rated this and the other movie american animals that movie pass put out like very highly they were created within like a month of Gotti coming out <laughs> And they just really praise this movie somehow. Hmm, I wonder, is movie pass maybe trying to inflate the numbers over there? But no, no, it's the critics, because they put out a bunch yeah. of like fucking ads or like audiences loved Gotti, but critics don't want you to see it. Oh, that's right. The movie the critics don't want you to see. Well, the, they, they also were just like, Do you trust the audiences or quote unquote trolls behind a keyboard? <laughs> 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 oh, as a right troll now. behind a keyboard right here uh, I was going to say fucking terrible. <laughs> those trolls by the keyboard were very very correct uh, you should not see this movie oh man it made me laugh so hard the scene where you know the son just died and like the, the John Gotti Jr. comes home and he's like hey you gotta be strong for your mother uh, she needs you right now you don't cry hey you be a fucking man hey hey and then the kids in bed, you just hear John Travolta wailing. <laughs> he sees him sitting in the chair, and it's just John Travolta. With, with, my, with one of my favorite subtitles in movie history for the closed captioning, which just sit in brackets, Gaudi sobbing. Yes! <laughs> it's just Travolta making weird noises. <laughs> like, it sounds like a mating call. Oh, get you on my fist, uh. It's just... I'm gonna suck on my fist for <laughs> I'll never be able to eat his hand again. Oh! Another thing, the first 20 minutes of this movie in particular have the most bizarre non-linear story structure I've ever seen. Yes. Where, like, it opens with the ghost of John Gotti in front of, like, the Brooklyn Bridge just saying, like, New York's the best city in the world, but guess what? I was the best ever. And then it cuts to the bit that you were talking about, like, near the end of John Gotti's life where he meets his son again for, like, the last time. And it's just like, oh, hey, you know what? Remember all these other times that we had? So it's like a fucking framing device within a framing device. <laughs> Yeah, it's really weird. And then just the choice of dialogue they did, like for him to describe his cancer. You know, they put my tit on my chin. You're like, what? <laughs> they did what? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's so stupid. Like, the thing is, like, look, we've all seen mafia movies a hundred times. I've seen the best of them. And I've seen some bad ones, too. The thing is, this is, feels like it's, you know, how you'll see, like, I forced my bot to write a Spider-Man script. Or a yeah, Batman. 100%. Yes. This is that movie. We fed <laughs> 10 Mafia movie scripts into a bot. This is yeah, This is the movie that came out. 100%. It's so stupid. <laughs> like, this grand wedding that they, oh, God. The Which is another wedding. weird yeah. song where they said to the song that's about, like, oh, trust what daddy says or whatever. Yeah. And the, John Gotti Jr. is dancing with his wife for about 30 seconds before Travolta and Kelly Preston get up and then everyone else gets up just like this is the first dance yeah dude you let them have their dance right <laughs> exactly 
Hey, what are you talking about? We've been doing this for years, the the 4th of July thing. Hey, you, oh. I, I, is my lawyer on retainer? Yep. Do I got bail money? Yep. Then light them up. You're like, oh. Well, for, and, well, and, that had, but also, next I time. Over, yes, next time. Next God. time, Gotti. <laughs> <laughs> like your Dr. Claw? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's like... A, here, the weirdest thing, really, is the contrast between all this silly stuff and the liberal use of actual footage from, like, news broadcasts and yes. people being interviewed on the street from the actual time and stuff like Which that. Which is so That's... strange, because certain, at certain points, you know, it's clearly the real John Gotti, the back of his head, or him in a car. But then they'll show, like, a newspaper article, and it's still in that weird digitized form, but it's just John Travolta's face really poorly plastered over the image like it's Tom John Gotti died and, uh, and then, yeah it's just Travolta yay like I'm still you believe I'm dead who knew hey. <laughs> right? hey oh man no can't wait to get it to that all you can eat fist buffet um in the sky in, in the sky oh <laughs> but it's just so stupid <laughs> it is it's written so piss poorly like the thing is I saw the Gotti made for tv uh one with uh armand Desante, right not very good but at least armand Desante comes across like intimidating when he's trying to be and it was a little bit more accurate i mean it's cheap because it's a made for tv thing but yet this movie feels like in a weird way even cheaper I don't know. Like, what did, what did they spend the money on? Where, where did the money go? Where did this? the $10 million go to, aside from, I'm sure, at least half of that is Travolta? Probably. Yeah, probably. But the rest had to go to marketing because they damn sure didn't spend it on anything else. Well, I also wouldn't be surprised if this, because of the weird production problems of this movie, if a lot of that was just like the weird lead up to this movie happening. And when they actually were going to make the movie, it's like, fuck, we have like $2 million we can spend, I guess. Uh, let's try and do this because it yeah. doesn't feel like, especially when you consider there are 60 credited producers on this movie. Oh, boy. And it's another one of those movies also at the beginning where there are five production movie logos yeah, yeah. and shit like that. Just try to make like... Shit, we only got two million. Quick, get that child and shellac his hair with baby powder. <laughs> Why is he so buff? Like, what is going on? Oh, God. Oh, God. And, and look, also, very Italian man talking here uh we thomas mariani in case you couldn't tell from the fucking last name mm-hmm. meatball mascacholi yep right of course yes and look i'm not somebody who often complains about italian stereotype shit like we're very low on the people who we you should be upset about offending list yeah it's it's like an open thing it's okay <laughs> no, <laughs> look, and i'm totally fine with it for the most part but there are lines and this movie is just a full-on line where just the italianisms are fucking ridiculous. Like, there's a scene early on where it's John Guy's in prison the first time, I guess. The the kids are visiting with Kelly Preston, and he's just like, "Oh, hey, what's it, what are you gonna dress up as, Junior? I'm gonna be a cop. You have my son dressing up as a cop. What's the matter with you? Forget about it. You don't talk to like, fucking cops. You're never gonna be a cop. What are you talking about, John? Don't you fucking start with me. You're like, what are you doing? What? 
what is happening here? <laughs> like, this would make sense as, like, a mad TV sketch about, like, yeah, the Sopranos. Yeah, thousand percent. Not, thousand, like, like, an Will, actual movie. Will Sasso is John exactly. Gotti. <laughs> you know, doing the curly voice. It, it's just... I, I mean, yeah, that scene, I, that's a really good one you brought up, you know, and of course there's even a line like, ah, oh, the food is terrible, uh, of course. And then the, you know, they go through this whole fight about the cop because it's a cop who lived down the street and blah, 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 screaming at each other, dropping F-bombs, yelling at each other in front of the kids. It's like, all right, time's up, Gotti. I love you. I love you too. Oh, <laughs> like, what the fuck? This is the stupidest shit. When she's yelling at him the final time. I brought him into this world, and you got him into the life. What do you want me to do? Hey, don't start with me. Hey, hey. What's, what's this life you're talking about? Hey, what's going on? What are you talking about? What are you hey. talking about? Hey, oh. Where she's fully complacent the whole movie about what he does. Like, she knows. The thing is, like, the movie portrays, like, scenes like this, or there's a scene, like, after his son dies, where he's talking with his buddies. He's like, yo, I can't believe, I don't know why God will let this happen. And the quote Travolta says, oh, is like, what, what are you talking about? He was a 12-year-old. He didn't have a hair on his prick. There is no God. Like, this is the guy who's, like, super sympathetic and supposed mm-hmm. to, like, help change the community. All those interviews are, like, at near the end were just like, John Gotti helped the community. He kept, like, crime out and all this other stuff. Like, there are no scenes in this movie where he's just being, like, Ever. really that interesting to the community like there's one early on with the box where a kid comes kid. up yeah right where he's just like oh i got the body shop's closing down i guess the rent went up it's like hey don't worry they're back in business it's no problem and then after that nothing about him helping nothing. the community whatsoever absolutely nothing it's just him murdering or having people killed or him right, slapping and despite people. and also despite the fact that like at the end after like the, the big like uh end titles are talking about just like uh, they kept putting John Gotti Jr. even after his father died through all sorts of rigmarole, and they let murderers go out on the street because they testified. And just like, but John Gotti like murdered people. We yeah. yeah, we saw it. John Gotti Jr. killed a guy in a bar in the movie. <laughs> Leo Rossi killed people while wearing the weird like Russian winter hat. In, like, what like, was that the about? My favorite, my favorite terrible scene in this movie is that guy killing yeah. Polly. The fucking, the big mobster guy. And just the, the fucking opera music, like, oh, it's like the yeah. worst cuts to, like, oh, someone slumped over on the street with, like, CG blood on their face. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, he'll be here in a minute. He's already here. We gotta go. Oh, uh, what, what, what with the hats? Eh? What they see our faces? They only remember the hats. You're goddamn right. Because what the fuck was that about? <laughs> it looked like the hat from Seinfeld. The only person who delivers a semi-decent performance is Pruitt Taylor Vince. Who yeah, plays, he's like, supposedly the best friend of John Gotti, Angela Rigorio. Just like, oh, this guy who was like such, like they were such best buddies. And anytime they are in a scene together, it's Pruitt Taylor Vince being a human and John Travolta being the weird alien man that John Gotti is depicted as in this movie. <laughs> and it's just like, I, in no world can I believe these two were ever friends of any sort. Or of, of the same age. Or the same species. <laughs> yeah, or the same species. Easy up yet. You, I give up. You try. Yeah, you seen this fucking shit? You're like, why? It's so over oh, and, the top. And the whole scene where Prue Taylor Vince is trying so hard about, like, 
um, where him and God, you're talking, just like, look, I, I saved your life, but the consequences, you're on the shelf forever. You can never be part of the mob again. And once again, Travolta's just like, hey, yo, I, I can't help you out. I, I saved your life. That's it. That's all that can happen. And then he, Prudent Taylor Vince leaves and he has this genuine look of just like, I can't believe my family's portrayed me. What's happening? And he goes over to John Guy Jr. and all the other like Italian mobster guys at the social club who are just like awkwardly giving him the cold shoulder like, I don't, I don't know you, man. I don't know who you are. Right. And then, of course, John Gotti Jr. goes to see him. He's like, you can't be here. Hey, you never say a crossword about your father and blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to John Travolta yelling at him about it. Like, I set the rules. Hey, you got to follow the rules. If not, you who? And then Kelly Press saying, why can't he go see Angelo? You're like, this is the stupidest shit. This is the most, like, you, you are using every excuse you can to just have some kind of conflict in this movie to push the story because this is ridiculous god i fucking hate travolta so much this is like this movie just sealed that deal even further for me where he's just so uh, he's just unlikable and i understand it's john Gotti and blah 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 but yeah they don't even lean into any of the sort of community building and stuff that he he supposedly did by you know from story i don't know i didn't live in fucking you know the boroughs during John Gotti's sort of rise to power, but well, I mean, I, I'm I'm at least vaguely aware of like that kind of reputation he had, and that's a fascinating figure to talk about. Where it's like, yeah, he's an awful mobster piece of shit, but he had like a true following in his community. That's like a fascinating, morally ambiguous character where he might not be the most like sage like character, but you could see some kind of likability in them from like the perspective of like those lower class people who are just like oh i can't believe god he's like our robin hood he's helping us out meanwhile this dude like at every turn is like the most vicious awful piece of shit but in like a weird alien way like the scene in the courtroom where the it turns just like oh hey we uh, have some evidence as displayed by that guy who's been an informant for 20 years and this guy's just like oh my god john i'm sorry come on you want to give me a pass if you win come on you gotta give me a pass you won't kill me right he's like how can I kill a ghost? It's like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Super intimidating. Uh, mm. and yeah, you know, just... Oh, fuck this movie, man. <laughs> this, this, I'll tell you what, though. Again, though, I was never bored. It is a fascinating disaster. Yes. And just... I, I'm still perplexed. Perplexing is a great adjective for it, yeah, because this definitely fits into, as we've talked about many times, there's genuinely awful, like, boring, unwatchable bad movies, there's the so-bad-they're-good-fun movies, and then this is fits firmly in the train wreck, you made every wrong decision, I'm fascinated, just at mm-hmm. every turn, where one should go left, you went right, and crash into a wall at every time. <laughs> this is the car accident on the side of the road. Right. Yes, that you, you have got a rubber neck. Just like what? Yeah, you got to look at it. Like what happened? What is happening? Oh my god! Is everyone okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so stupid. Uh, Adam, we've been talking a lot about Gotti. Any final thoughts about? Gotti? Like I said, this this is completely like you fed a bot, Goodfellas, you know, the fucking Mean Streets. All the Godfather fed all the classic mafia movies, and then threw in like one or two bad ones, and this is the script that it popped out. A hundred percent. This doesn't feel like it was written by humans. It doesn't feel like it's being acted out by humans. Uh, it, it's just it is such a weird fucking thing that I'm glad I saw it, 
but I'm still just completely and utterly devastated in myself that I did watch it. Like I really let myself down. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever recover from Gotti. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I forgot. There's a third screenwriter along with Lem Dobbs and Leo Rossi. It's Benny Boom Bot. The bot they fed all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Benny Boom Bot. That's 100 percent right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like to update? Oh, it's a computer program with a fucking Italian man mustache and like yeah, a chef's yeah. head. This script is fugazi. <laughs> oh no! Sit on it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Your mother is a terrible cook. Oh. Um, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I think you can at least see why, though, Adam, why I would want to bring this up as a redemption. Because this movie is worth talking about so extensively. It's also ghostwritten by Gabagool3000. <laughs> well, hey, my uncle on my father's side. Whoa, can't believe it. Um, this does not read like it was written by a fucking professional screenwriter and then got made into an actual movie that cost 10 million fucking dollars and stars an Academy Award nominee like John Travolta. Just, it's baffling. It feels so much like one of these movies that, like, this feels like it would be Neil Breen's mafia movie as opposed to How an actual big you? production. How dare you? Well, that's true. There'd be a lot more space stuff. And weird, yeah, like, he would, he'd be able to teleport. <laughs> These people, they can sit on it. Sit on it. All of you. The government can sit on it. A, forget about it. The Teamsters Union, the president of the bank, <laughs> they can all sit on it. A, Mambo. Mambo Italiano. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, Headless salad and breadsticks. <laughs> I kind of want that now. But anyway, anyway, it, it feels still just like this is not a professional movie on any level. It feels so unprofessional to every degree. Down to, like I said, John Travolta, despite, I agree, most of his career has been just filled with bad performances, terrible, baffling decisions. Just seems like he has no real concept to how to pick a movie that works for him. And at the same time, like, I don't think if this starred any other, like, washed up, fucking actor dude we would get a performance this like bafflingly bad this is one of those that like should hang on the wall just like here do not do this this is a goofus to a gallon of like an actual italian mobster performance it's just such a fascinating failure for every single person involved that it's it's definitely i would say kind of worth watching on once again not the so bad it's good level there's moments like that but just in the level of just Every wrong decision is made. Every poor, baffling, dumb idea that feels like anybody, any one of the 60 producers should have been like, guys, let's not do this. Um, It feels like none of them gave a shit. Yeah, we need another pass here, guys. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're a fan of mafia movies and mafioso movies, you got to see this. You got to see it. This is like the walk hard of mafia movies. No, that's an insult because that's actually genuinely funny movie. That's true. This is it's though this is for like the musical biopic angle. This is the identical of mafia movies. This is the mafia with Jay Moore of mafia movies. <laughs> Jane Austen's mafia shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll go with that. Uh, well, everybody, now it's time we do our weekly segment, the double review, where uh, Adam and I, based on the topic in question. We, uh, you know, go ahead and recommend the best and worst possible double feature uh, related to the topic. Uh, so we have two good and two bad movies each 
uh, two to recommend, two to not so much recommend. Really, in this case, two are previous redemption choices. So, Adam, you're first up today. Go ahead and uh, tell us what your choices would be. Alrighty. So, my good uh, are two movies that I absolutely love. I know you're a fan of at least one of them. Uh, they're two that I still, at one point, would like to talk about on the show, but... You know, one of them has been the alternate twice and it never sort of got picked. And the other one is just a fantastic movie. The one that's been the alternate twice and never been picked is The Secret of Nim, animated movie uh, about the mice and the rats and the stone. And it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. I, I've loved it since I was a kid. I still love it. I still think it's impeccably animated, impeccably voice acted. I think it's a really good sort of jumping off point for kids who want to get maybe more into fantasy and darker elements because there's a lot of that in this movie um it's just it's fucking great i i love it to pieces it's one of my all-time favorite animated films still to this day um it just holds a special spot in my heart the other is tremors with kevin bacon and fred ward uh it's probably the first example i can think of when i was a kid that i genuinely thought a horror movie was funny obviously that's what they were going for but it's probably the first horror comedy i can remember really latching on to uh, other than like Young Frankenstein and stuff like that, but that's just more outwardly comedy. But this is just, it's such a fun little movie about these crazy sort of ragtag group of people in this town uh, that have to fight these crazy underground graboids. Uh, it, it's just, it's wonderful. I, I, I have such a blast with this movie anytime I see it. Uh, followed up by many sequels of very lessening quality. I mean, they steadily decline as it goes on. But uh, I, I just think this is a perfect movie. Um, and then for my bad, uh, briefly, they're both actually genre films. I didn't realize that until like literally today. But uh, I have Tusk, uh, the Kevin Smith movie with Justin Long, the Human Walrus movie. Fucking terrible. It's so bad. It's not the my least favorite of Kevin Smith's sort of newer movies. Uh, that is still Yoga Hosers 100%. Which you've covered on the show previously. Which we've covered on the show, and it's a terrible film. Uh, really good Michael Parks, because he was great. You know, I, I always liked him. Uh, but Johnny Depp, and then fucking Justin Long, Haley Joel Osment, it's just, it's a terrible, terrible film. It, you could tell this is an idea that was came up after smoking copious amounts of marijuana, and they thought it was a cool idea, so they're like, fuck it, let's make it. And that's exactly what this was, and it's so obvious. And then the other one is uh, what I honestly uh, think, and I don't think anybody would disagree, effectively killed the Tales from the Crypt movie franchise. It is the second one, The Bordello of Blood. Terrible, terrible movie. Uh, you know, Dennis Miller and Erica Olaniak are your leads. They're both terrible. Angie Everhart as the, the main villain is a terrible. Corey Feldman, terrible. It's just, it's a bad TNA movie for TNA's sake, which I don't have a problem with sleazy horror movies. I never have. But this one tries so hard to be witty and funny and edgy and cool, and it sort of fails miserably on every fucking level. It is a terrible, terrible film. Well, yeah, I mean, I have uh, seen all the movies you're talking about. Secret of Nim, I agree, is phenomenal. Uh, Don Bluth is somebody who I, I think is very underrated in terms of animation now. I think at the time, Secret of Nim was especially interesting because it kind of was like the competing thing to Disney that was kind of flopping. 
um, versus Secret Invasion was like a thing where he was a Disney animator that broke out and made that movie and it was doing so well and made a couple other big 80s movies and eventually tipped off. Um, and I think that's a great movie. I, I totally 100% agree. Uh, Tremors is great as well. It's a great little genre piece uh, that's especially just so perfectly economical in terms of its storytelling. Um, and even with like the, the use of the graboids, that's like obviously the most expensive thing, but there's so many great little cuts around for story and Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward are so fun. And I've been actually going through the sequels as of recent, I'm up to four, the prequel, uh, that was a Western. And I would say, I don't think any of them are unwatchable, but I do agree that you really lose something where like Fred Ward's in the second one by himself and he's fun. Uh, but then when you just have Michael Gross, who's very endearing as that character, despite all odds with that character, it still isn't really enough to keep you going with with this concept of the grabbers, oh, basically. You still got Jamie Kennedy and John Heater coming, so be prepared. That's true. I can't wait. Um, but uh, yeah, Tusk. We haven't covered a Kevin Smith movie since our Kevin Smith episode. If we were ever to, I think something like a Tusk would be one of the ones more fascinating to cover because it's just like such a bizarre, weird thing that somehow exists. Uh, and it has so many baffling choices that are interesting and nothing else. I think it's, it's slightly better than, like, you know, Yoga Hosers because of, like, some effects work in Michael Parks, I agree. But, yeah, it, it's just, it's one of those movies where I was even, because of my dumb Kevin Smith obsession back in the day, I heard the podcast where he and Scott Mosher basically pitched this movie off of, like, some weird news ad like, I heard that fucking podcast when it came out, and I was like, oh, that's a fun discussion within a podcast, but to make a whole movie out of it is a very bad decision, and they even play that part of the podcast during the end credits and shit like that. It's just this weird, like, Kevin Smith is always kind of, like, circle jerky with his fans, but that is, like, the true, like, beginning of the end in terms of his actual, like, career as a director, being able to separate that from him as, like, the weird Stanley showman that he's become. For whatever reason. Um, and Bordello of Blood's really bad. Yeah, we talked about Demon Knight, which is great on the show previously. Um, Bordello of Blood is like the exact opposite. Such a bad movie that was based on like an old script that Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, who wrote Back to the Future, did when they were in college. And it shows. It feels like it was written by a bunch of college kids who haven't like done much with like actually crafting any kind of interesting story and it's only made worse by like the weird 90s sheen to it that feels like it's just so piss poorly done well it's time i did my choices here for the double redo for my redemption choices i have uh the first one is uh more of an, an art film as it were from our uh the alternate choice i had for our criterion episode uh from way back when it is orson welles's f for fake which is a hard movie to describe, but basically it's Orson Welles doing a weird pseudo documentary about like magic and how that kind of becomes like you perceiving notions in film. And so that basically just the idea of illusion and how that can really like transform how you look at the world. It's such a weird movie to really describe. You have to really experience it. And I think it's such a fascinating, unique, weird movie that could only come from a guy as fascinatingly talented and completely, you know, alienating to audiences as Orson Welles was as a person. It's it's one that I definitely would love to cover on the show because there's so much to discuss about it. 
Uh, but it, it's definitely one where I would recommend anybody, if we ever cover it, watch the movie first because it might be incomprehensible to talk about <laughs> if you haven't like seen the movie. The context might not work for you. Uh, but on the flip side, this is a movie that I think you can enjoy to any degree. And this was the alt from our Japanese cinema episode, Your Name, which is an anime film that is basically about this young boy and girl who find themselves having switched bodies. So initially it's kind of like a predictable uh, body swap movie where, you know, the young boy wakes up in the young girl's body. He's just like, whoa, this is weird. And same thing with like the young girl and the boy's body. And you think like, oh, this is just gonna be kind of like a cute, sweet movie about this concept. And I won't spoil how the sort of second half turns that concept, but it makes it so much more fascinating. It's like a weird magic sci-fi trope where you see like, okay, there's a lot more that's different about these two besides like genders. Like, there's actually a lot more context in terms of where the other person was versus the other, and how that really bends a lot of rules of, like, you know, the universe and stuff like that. It's really fascinating. I don't want to go into too much detail, but it's really charming, really engaging, and just even, you know, if you're not a huge anime person, like even myself, it's still just, like, a really engrossing, interesting movie that I would fully recommend to anybody. It's, it's a style movie. I would also like to talk about on the show. And I would say that's the same even for my two bad choices, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend anybody see, but I think are still fascinating to talk about, where my alternate choice for the initial Stephen King episode, even for this Redemption episode, uh, the eternal sort of bridesmaid, never a bride for me, Dreamcatcher, the Stephen King adaptation that has like so many different weird Stephen King stories wrapped into one it's an issue just like a bunch of young men go off into the cabin uh, in the woods after like not being around each other for so long. They were friends as little kids. And from there, there's like slugs that crawl out of toilets. There's a mind palace. There is Morgan Freeman with his weird eyebrows. And he's like the leader of this military installation that's nearby. It's just so many bizarre ideas that just feels like it's a Stephen King stew of a movie based on a book that he hates because he wrote it while he was basically on painkillers after his car accident. And it shows. I haven't read the book book but based on this movie it shows and it has a weird pedigree where it's directed by Lawrence Kasdan and written by William Goldman major Academy Award like nominated and winning people are behind this and the cast is really stacked it's it's such a bizarre mess that I would want to talk about extensively and then another bad one that I've had as uh, a knowledge for a couple ones but especially the 1999 episode was the initial time I had this Bicentennial Man a movie that had a major impact on me because I was a young kid who was like, oh, it's a Robin Williams movie. It's going to be fun. The genie, all this other stuff. He's going to be a robot. It's going to be cool. And that movie is a sad meditation on death and mortality and how, like, you will progress beyond the people you love if you're an immortal being like a robot. And it's Chris Columbus doing it. So there are weird family film moments, but then it transitions over to just like these very existential, dire, like, ideas about the future that don't mesh together very well and it feels like it's ai but from a family film studio movie perspective it's it's so bafflingly bad and i would definitely like to talk about it on the show well i've never seen either of your good yeah i i've never even heard of them other than when you've chosen for the alternates so but i'm definitely fascinated by both of them just based on your description alone um and Dreamcatcher is such a weird movie it's so weird. Like, I really like parts of it, and then other parts, it's just mind-numbingly stupid. It's And plus, like you said, with that cast, like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, but yeah, I would love to talk about that one. And Bicentennial Man is uh, uh, terrible. It's a terrible film. I, I don't care if we ever talk about that movie. I can't stand that movie. I hate that fucking movie. 
Well, uh, let's go ahead and repeat our titles then, <laughs> in case anybody missed them. Adam, please. Uh, my good choices were The Secret of Nim and Tremors, and my bad were Tusk and Bordello of Blood. And then my two good were F for Fake and Your Name, and then my two bad were Dreamcatcher and Bicentennial Man. And uh, we encourage you to send your uh, own submissions for a double redo. Um, it might be a bit more difficult with this kind of thing, uh, with the redemption element of it, but for any past episode even, you can submit your picks um, over to us, and uh, we uh, really hope you do that to some of the socials we'll list later, but we want to thank some people. Uh, first off, we want to thank uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at Night of Water, that's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, on Twitter to find his link tree and all his other great artwork. And we also want to thank our Patreon supporters, our edgelord patrons, as we call them, over at patreon.com slash getbpod for just a $1 a month. You all get to listen to bonus podcasts that we record and put out there exclusively for you all. And also vote for topics we cover, individual movies even, that we cover for the show. And uh, we have a poll that will be coming up the week this episode is released, uh, where you all get to pick between two bad choices from Adam for our upcoming prequels episode. So, Adam, what are your two bad picks you have for them to vote between? All right. One of these I've seen. One of these is kind of brand new. Like, it came out last year, uh, and it's, like, just now available on streaming services. But the one I've seen... Uh, which is a terrible film. And I really kind of enjoy the original. Uh, there are problems with, you know, a certain performer's accent being really weird. But uh, I have the prequel to Carlito's Way. I have Carlito's Way, Rise to Power, starring everyone's favorite Jay Hernandez, Sean B. Diddy Combs, Mario Van Peebles, and Luis Guzman. Oh boy, it is a fucking shit fest. Uh <laughs> Oh, like, you know, movies that it's like a crackle movie. That's what it reminds me of. It's so fucking a straight to crackle original, straight to crackle, crackle original, baby. That Joe Dirt, too. Um, And then I also uh, for the one that's newer, I really am fond of the first one of this now trilogy. Second one's really bad, but there's some funny parts to it but it's a terrible film. But I have uh, one that is kind of being uh, destroyed by people who are just now seeing it because hot take, nobody saw it. Uh, I have the King's man. Oh yeah. So the prequel to the two Kingsman golden circle and Kingsman secret service. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting. I mean, I'll say this. I haven't seen the original Carlito's way. So that'd be interesting to watch that and then watch the, the prequel if that gets chosen. But on the other hand, Kingsman is one I remember really liking the first one and hating the second one. Um, and so this being a thing, it'll be interesting to maybe go back to those movies and then see this prequel. So I think either way, they're both very interesting choices, but it's not up to us. It's up to the edgelord patrons out there for just the $1. You get to vote in that poll. That'll be up this week. We release the episode and uh, we're going to be picking our movies for next week in a second. But first we just want to say, uh, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDB pod. And you can also submit feedback to us, double-edged, double-bill, at gmail.com. I'll spell it out. And for more of my own individual antics, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Letterbox is at NotTheWho'sTommy. I also do some writing on both MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and Film-Cred.com. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. And Letterboxd at Schwanson, S-C-H-W-A-N. 
DTSON. And also, I would like to add, there's somebody I would like to not thank. Christian Alvarez, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Special non-shout-out yeah. to Christian Alvarez. Yeah, bizarro shout-out. <laughs> well, uh, for more of our antics here, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows on the network, but also dig into our archives and our main Podbean feed. There'll be a link in the description for the like nearly 200 episodes we did before we joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't you know, support the show on Patreon or any of that, the helpful way to help us out that's completely free is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because that gets us more visibility. Yeah, it really helps us. So thank you to all that have done it. Really appreciate it, except for you, Christian Alvarez. <laughs> Asterisk. <laughs> Except for Christian Alvarez. Well, now, Adam, it's time we did our picking for next week's episode. Uh-huh. And it's a doozy of an episode we should mention. Because uh, this episode right here, Redemption, uh, usually we like to cover it as like the, every 50 episodes. But we held off on it a bit, one, because we wanted to have like the symmetry where you had the good pick, I had the bad pick mm-hmm. to reverse the last time we did Redemption. But more crucially, um, we have a very important milestone Next episode is episode 200. Yes, it is episode 200. Can you believe it? No. I, I, I wake <laughs> at night wondering how could it be 200. How the fuck did we get here? How, how indeed. Well, we're here, and uh-huh. uh, we're going to be uh, doing something a bit interesting that we haven't done before on the show, where um, you know we talked about Letterboxd previously, mm-hmm. and uh, with that app if you're unaware it's a movie like review and rating app where you can just catalog all the movies you've seen and uh the way that we're gonna do this is um adam and i uh, each have uh the other person's uh ratings to reference for this where i have the good and you have the bad but the funny thing is uh my two good picks are based on uh ratings for movies that you love ones that you really like have rated like five to four and a half stars on Letterboxd, pretty extreme. And you have the opposite for mine, where you have ones that I've rated like either one or a half star, very bad, hate them kind of movies. Uh, and I thought this would be interesting just to like kind of look at each other's tastes in film and celebrate that for 200 episodes. Yeah, I think it's a really nifty idea. Super groovy. <laughs> so groovy. So, so, groovy. <laughs> so fucking groovy. Um, and you know, the way that we usually do this is, uh, since Adam has the two bad choices, I have the two good ones. We've each signed those numbers between one and 10 and, uh, the other person will pick a number between one and 10 and whichever one that gets closest to gets us our good and our bad feature. But keep in mind, there is the Godfather rule still in effect. Hey, Benny Boombots, Gotti, Godfather rule where, um, Adam and I were given a single veto, uh, last May to use uh for basically if we hear one choice after picking number between one and ten from the other person it's like oh it's at number five it's blank and we're like you know what i don't want to actually talk about blank so you know what i'll take the cannoli and thus uh we don't do that choice but we're stuck with whatever other choice at the alternate end of things and uh you know you have used yours already but i have to use mine by may and we're fast approaching may so this might be a good opportunity to use it potentially depending on your choices but first adam my two good ones. Please pick them between one and ten. I will pick number ten. Okay. Over at number nine, I have a movie that I remember thinking was quite great, but I just haven't seen it in ages, and I know you're a big fan of it. We've talked about it elsewhere, 
in terms of you uh, really loving this one and really shaping your sense of horror taste. I have the original 1976 version of The Omen. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Yep, that is one of my all-time favorite movies. I am totally on board for that. Good job, Thomas. Hey. Um, and then over at number two, I have one that I know I love so dearly, um, and we're both big fans of. Um, I have uh, the original RoboCop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a five-star all day, baby. I've said elsewhere that I think that is the quintessential 80s action movie. I, I think that movie is absolutely flawless. So yes. either way, win, win. Yep. Uh, but Uh-oh. speaking of the opposite of that scenario. All right, Adam. Hmm. Look, man. Look, you're not going to use the cannoli on either of these. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> like, don't even get that out of your mind. Huh. Well, you know what? Um, I'm going to go with number three. All right. At number one, uh, full disclosure, you and I have watched both of my choices together uh, through our movie nights. And we both equally are amazed by how fucking dumb they are. And they both involve uh, some interesting music. At number one, Dangerous Men. <gasps> oh, oh boy. There's a whole story <laughs> to that one. Yeah, uh, you, you were uh, very correct. And uh, I will not, I will be holding on to this, you know, uh, veto a yeah. bit longer. Yeah, I figured. And you would have, if you'd have got the alternate choice at number eight, Wish Upon. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you were so, you're solid here. It would have been so appropriate to take the cannoli for the Gotti episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really would have. Well, I was gonna try to screw you a little bit and pick something, you know, have one of the choices be something that I is like just loathed by you that I know you would hate or are offended by or something. I'm like, ah, eh, why do that? Let's have fun. It's episode two hundred. All right, yeah, but <laughs> dangerous men mm-hmm. <laughs> and the omen. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, yeah. Fuck it's yeah. the dangerous omen, everybody. We can't wait <laughs> yep. for that's probably gonna be the title of the episode. Can't wait until next time. But until next time, it's time to say goodbye and just to really hammer it home that if you listen to five thousand other podcasts, you'll never hear a better one than Double H Double Bill. Hey, forget about it. Hey, eat your fist, you fuck. <laughs>